0: 13.02 of Effectively Wild, a baseball podcast from Fangraphs, presented by our Patreon supporters. I am Ben Lindberg of The Ringer, joined by Jeff Sullivan of Fangraphs. Hello. Hello. So we are doing something completely different today. I guess we do almost every day, but we're in sort of a a lull right now with real baseball, even in terms of rumors and transactions. So we are going overseas for this episode. We are going to talk about Finnish baseball Finnish baseball, also known as Pesapalo, and I have to thank listener Junis Lukanen, who I hope I'm not terribly mispronouncing A Finnish fan of the podcast Who emailed us this summer To say, in subject line We have Finnish baseball and it's weird And uh, <laughs> he then <laughs> Explained what it was and why it's weird And we said well of course we have to do an episode On that once we roll around To the slow part of the calendar and here we are So later in this episode And for most of this episode We will be talking to one of the big wigs Of Finnish baseball or Pesapalo Yussi Pusilo who is the CEO, I believe, and and the senior marketing person of Super Pesas, which is kind of the highest level league of Pesapalo, but also just for Finnish baseball itself. And uh, there's uh, a lot to like about Pesapalo, a lot of things that perhaps we could import back into baseball. They originally developed Pesapalo as a variant of American baseball, which we discuss with UC, but maybe they have uh, made some innovations that we should look at and consider importing into our own game.
1: We'll talk a little bit about Tony Kohonen, who sounds like he is the Mike Trout of Pesapalo, which is mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, they also, as will be revealed, have difficulty with defensive statistics. That is uh, yeah. seems to be a global problem. And yeah, just having watched some video, of course, anything that's different feels fresh, but I like the action of it. And I know you and I generally sit here and come to the defense of where Major League Baseball is now with the strikeouts and the walks and home runs, and everyone is more talented than ever, and it's still an interesting game. But I'm not going to lie to you. I like the idea of things just moving around really, really quick. I like the idea mm-hmm. of pitchers who don't get injured because all they have to do is toss the ball straight up a meter in the air. So it's yep. interesting, and I would uh, I would love to see a game in person, and all I have to do is get myself to Finland to do mm-hmm. so. That seems yeah. like something I could just solve with about three clicks of the mouse, see if yeah. everything is on
0: SeatGeek. Yeah, we should have a, a meetup. It'll just be you and me and... and... Junus, I, I guess, just um, <laughs> <laughs> hanging out next uh, next year. But I will link to the rules and videos of it so you can see it in action as you're listening to UC explain it. It's helpful to see it, too. So... Before we bring him on, there just really is not a whole lot going on right now. We are uh, in the two weeks leading up to the winter meetings, and presumably a lot of things will happen then, but that's the week after next. And I guess the most interesting non-news that could become news right now is the idea of trading Robinson Cano, which reportedly Jerry DePoto is pursuing. And there seems to be some interest on the part of some teams, and... You can see why teams might be interested in Robinson Cano. He's still a good baseball player. I think that is the, the primary reason. Of course, he was suspended for much of the last season, and yet he still ended up basically being a three-win player, according to Fangraphs, because he can still hit. In terms of guys who've signed giant long-term contracts at a point where you worry about them declining, sure, his career years are still during his Yankees years but his bat at least has held up very well.
1: Yeah, you look at Cano and he's going to be 36 years old and I mean he's his contract is easy to figure out aside from I believe he has no trade protection but it's like it's 24 million dollars every year. And it's he's going into year six of his contract. My god, everyone gets older <laughs> and dies. But Cano, if you if you just want to use one of those like standard dollars per war conversions, then Cano will at least project to be worth his salary next season. Mm-hmm. And from there, you know, he will decline. He's presumably not going to be worth $120 million over the next five years combined. But I I haven't done a lot of the math on this, but the mariners in theory wouldn't have to pay down Cano's contract that much to make it palatable. But on the other hand, I mean, if Cano were a free agent right now, which is really what we're talking about, what's, what's I don't know, Daniel Murphy projected to get on the market? Because Murphy is another guy who's not long for second base. He's a, a quality hitter. Now, Cano hasn't had the major knee surgery, but Murphy also hasn't been suspended <laughs> for half the season <laughs> yep. because of performance-enhancing drugs. And I don't know, there are other considerations beyond that. But it's just something to watch. And I more generally, I agree with you that right now it. It feels like, oh, nothing's happening. Baseball's kind of in a lull. But I wonder, what does it take for that not to feel like the case? Because, like, yesterday, one of the most visible free agents signed with a team. That's Josh Donaldson. Mm-hmm. There are trade rumors. There were always trade rumors. Like, what what isn't a lull? Does something, ha- does something <laughs> like, have to be happening right now? Because it seems like baseball <laughs> isn't dull. Like, there are rumors. We know Manny Machado's not signing today and Bryce Harper isn't signing today. But, like, things can happen But it still Mm -hmm. does kind of feel like nothing's happening. Is that just, are we jaded? Are we wrong? Because like every (laughs) single executive right now, except for whoever's in charge of the Orioles, is like sending frequent and frenzied text messages to like every other team. Lots of stuff is happening. We just don't know, Mm -hmm. I guess, enough details.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, when James Paxton was traded, it seemed like things were happening and we had stuff to talk about. So all it really takes is one interesting transaction. I mean, a trade is much more interesting to discuss than a signing, especially a one-year signing like Josh Donaldson. I mean, he's an interesting player going to an interesting team, but there are only so many ways you can break it down. A trade, you have future considerations versus present considerations, and you have this team's side and that team's side, and that's interesting. There are many pieces generally going one way or another. So This has not been, like, last November, I don't think, where it was just completely dead, and that turned out to be a a prelude to a very slow winter, but... At this time last year, we didn't know why that was. There was a lot of speculation. Is it just free agency is dying? Is it Otani and Giancarlo Stanton holding up the market? I remember writing an article almost exactly a year ago about how last November was like the slowest November in terms of transactions that we'd ever seen in the free agency era. And things didn't pick up a whole lot more from there. But it's been better this year i think we've seen some signings we've seen some trades but i don't know other than winter meetings time and the aftermath of that when there's like a flurry of transactions the offseason is slow it's the offseason <laughs> so this is uh when we talk about twilight and Pesapolo.
1: it'll be interesting because we know who at least we we think we know who the best teams are like because of the the tiers, the hierarchy of, of major league baseball, and I think this might have been the thesis of like Dave Cameron's last post at Fangraphs, that yeah. the offseason is altered a little bit because we have like clear worst teams and clear best teams, and a lot of the best teams are almost full. Like they're yeah. They're, obviously none of these teams are perfect, but like it's really hard for many of them to upgrade. And a lot of the worst teams, it's really hard for them to find good players still to trade. And if you were a team somewhere in the middle, a team maybe a little worse than the Braves, but even similar to the Braves, like, you were a little less incentivized to want to spend a lot to get better because you were unlikely to get as good as the best teams. So it's just this interesting market dynamic where, like, I know the Mariners have made some trades, but, like, the Mariners are one of those teams in the middle. Uh, the worst teams in baseball just don't have that much to move, and the best teams in baseball are, are kind of doing pretty well, which is... It's going to be like the the Diamondbacks are thinking about trading Paul Goldschmidt. Well, there's not a a whole bunch of suitors out there for one year of Paul Goldschmidt because many of the best teams already have a solution at first base. So that's just—I so, don't know how unique this is relative to other offseasons, but you'd think in a year that didn't have five or six apparent super teams that there would be a big market for Paul Goldschmidt. But right now, if you were, I don't know, the Twins, for example— Twins could mm-hmm. think about maybe grabbing like the second wild card, but how much do the twins really want to pay to lose another game in the Yankee Stadium or whatever? Yeah. So it's just, I don't yeah. know. It's they want to pay for CJ
0: Crone, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, I, my colleague at the Ringers, Zach Cram, wrote an article after last winter about how the playoff teams from 2017 returned a very high percentage of their players, like an unusually low turnover rate. And I imagine that will probably be pretty similar this year because, yeah, there just are certain teams that seem like they're pretty set and they really can't blow it. I mean, things can go wrong and there's always one team that's supposed to win that doesn't, the Nationals. But I think, yeah, there's there's less uncertainty and I kind of wonder, I mean, just like having year-round projections... To me, which is nice. I wouldn't want to go back to not being able to look at projections, but the fact that Fangraphs has depth charts and projections and like team win totals for next year already, right? Like any mm-hmm. day of the year, you can look and you can see what the most likely outcome of next season is. And It's not like you didn't know at all who the favorites were before, but it used to be an event. Like you'd get to January or February or whenever and the pakotas would come out and there'd be team projections and it would be like, oh, this team is supposed to be good and that team's not supposed to be good. And now we just kind of always know what the stats say, at least. And that, I don't know, takes a little bit of the uncertainty out of the offseason you could at least like tell yourself hey we've upgraded this and that maybe now we're the favorites
1: yeah I agree with that and I guess sort of related to uh, to transactions but one name that is starting to surface a little more that is a prominent name but someone we haven't discussed is what do you think Madison Bumgarner has one year left and he is an extremely prominent name on the Giants he's like you know he's a postseason hero he basically hasn't allowed a postseason earned run ever or something like that and <laughs> Bumgarner's got one year left on his deal. He is, of course, one of the most popular Giants and someone who many Giants fans probably wish would be extended, but Bumgarner is also coming off a career-worst FIP, a career-worst ex-FIP. He's coming off like a, a good and low ERA, but if you look at like his peripherals, they're worse than ever. His expected WOBA last year was worse than ever. Madison Bumgarner clearly has declined, whether that's age or related to his uh, his his accident that he had a couple of years ago. It's it's hard to yeah. say. His, his stuff is down. Like, wh- if you were an executive, it would be easy for a team to look at Bumgarner and be like, well, we're not going to pay a premium price for this guy because he's worse than ever. And so, you mm-hmm. know, we'll give you something, but we're not going to give you a haul. But the fact of the matter is that Bumgarner does have his reputation. How easy do you think it would be for a major league executive to try to Push that aside, or is it something that you would take into consideration to think? You know, people do think this guy's a bulldog, and I do want this guy getting the ball in the playoffs. Does that matter at all in these negotiations?
0: Probably matters a little bit. I don't want to be the the standard sabermetric person who says that something we can't quantify has no value at all, but the things we can quantify about him are trending in dangerous directions. So, I mean, as of Two years ago, he was a guy who threw 200-plus innings year after year after year, what was it, six years in a row, I think he got over the 200-inning mark and was one of the, the best players in baseball, best pitchers in baseball over that period. He was never like the biggest strikeout artist, but he had great control. He got some grounders. He was just really good, and these last couple years, he has had neither the durability nor the peripherals that he had in the past, and he doesn't throw as hard as he used to, so he's only, what, 29 still, and could bounce back as he gets further away from that injury. I don't know, but you wouldn't really bet on it at this point, so would you evaluate him any different from someone who has never pitched in the postseason, let's say? I guess there's like a, a little extra bonus there, but it's it's not something I would bank on, like Clearly, he has name value and marquee value maybe that comes from that, that he wouldn't if he weren't a playoff hero. So Mm -hmm.
1: that's something. And, you know,
0: I just don't know what the value of having been
1: there and having
0: been good there is.
1: Yeah, I I agree. And it's it's always a little bit of – of a bummer you think of like madison bumgarner and paul goldschmidt are two of the best players from the past five or yeah five years they are like goldschmidt is always somewhere on the mvp ballot and bumgarner used to always be up there in sort of the Cy Young voting or, or just public support and it's always a little it's simultaneously enlightening and disheartening to see what a one-year player's value actually is on the market because on the one hand it's like It's good for writing because people want to know how baseball works, and and the fact of the matter is that baseball teams don't highly value one-year players that much, but it's also just like you intuitively think it should cost more to get one of these guys because they are two of the best, or at least they've been considered two of the best, so I don't know... I don't know if it's realistic to expect Far Anxiety to trade Mattis Bumgarner in his first offseason with the team. That seems like it's a surefire way to uh, make people not like you in San Francisco. (laughs) You know, you give it another go and you trade him in July. But like Goldschmidt in Arizona, if he gets moved, and you know, there are only so many teams who would be interested in him right now anyway. But if he gets moved, he's probably not going to get like a blockbuster package and. That sucks if you're a fan mm-hmm. of the Diamondbacks or a fan of the next team who's going to trade one of these players because it's just not out there. And it just further underscores how all these players are viewed as assets, which in the context of the game, that's how they should be. But it is it is weird and it just it's hard to wrap your mind around the fact that someone is not going to pay a really high price to get one of the best hitters in baseball.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, shall we take a quick break? And we will be back to discuss Finnish baseball, which uh, is picking up the slack for boring American baseball right now, thanks to Finland. Finland, Finland, Finland The country where I quite want to be The mountain so lofty I treat so tall Finland, 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 Finland. Finland has it all Okay, so if you have not been introduced to Pesapalo, sometimes known as Finnish baseball, you are about to be. And at first glance, there are a lot of similarities between the sports. One team is trying to score more runs than the other team. There are innings, there are three outs and three strikes, there are nine players on the field, batters hitting a ball and running around the bases, fielders trying to catch the ball and throw to bases to retire the runners. Sounds very similar. But there are a lot of departures from there. And to help explain why the game is different and perhaps even why it's superior in some ways, we are now joined by Yusi Pusalo. He is the marketing director for Super Pesis, which is the main league of Pesapalo, but also for the sport of Pesapalo itself. So, hello, Yusi. Welcome. Thank you, and hello to everyone. So I mentioned that it's sometimes called Finnish baseball. Is it only in America that it is called Finnish baseball, or do you prefer to call it Pesapalo? Is it is it offensive to call it Finnish baseball? Do you call American baseball American Pesapalo?
2: No, we actually we prefer Pesapalo. Uh, it just used to be so that even us we call it Finnish baseball, but. Let's say during the last five to 10 years, we started just using Pesapallo because baseball is baseball and Pesapallo is Pesapallo. So I think this is better. And even our players who play outside Finland, they, they call it Pesapallo.
0: And does that term, does that word mean something? Does it refer to something in the sport?
2: Well, if you would directly translate it, would actually mean baseball. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay, <laughs> great.
1: Yeah. So uh, as long as we're we're talking about this, we might as well talk about the uh, the origin story. So, baseball dates back to what? It was uh, around the the 1920s, and I'm not going to hundred years. Hundred years.
2: <laughs> it's before the yeah before the both great wars. So the founder of our game called Mr. Takopičala. He visited us uh, i think it was 1912 or 13 around there and saw his first baseball games and he thought okay it's a nice game but it would need some uh, fine tuning or improvement and then he made up these rules where it's more active game and uh, after he returned from the us he made a couple of different versions tried them out and in the 1920s i think it was 1922 was the first year when the official championship was organized in Finland. So those were the first days. So it's going to be hundred years in three years. Uh-huh. And can you tell us
0: about the growth of the sport and, and how the popularity has increased over the years and, and where it is now relative to other sports in Finland?
2: Well, it is our national sport. So we got independent, uh, 1917. So in those days, it really wasn't that big yet, but between the wars, like, uh, after 1920s and, uh, before the second world war that's when it really grew in popularity. They played it in schools, they played it in some like military units and they played it on the yards. And uh, so that's when it started to really grow and when the championships were organized, it gained popularity and ever since those days, uh, except a couple of years during the war, we've been playing it every summer or our season is like from early May to late September. And uh, the popularity in summer, Finland, we have soccer or football, European football, whatever you want to call it. And Pesapalla and those are the main games. And currently the spectator numbers are about even. So some years I could say that we are the number one summer sport and some years the soccer guys can say that hey, we are number one. But it is the most popular or second most popular summer game here in Finland. And in schools, uh, kids really love it still. So, OK, it's a summer sport. They don't play it that much in school, but when they do, they really like it, and it's still very popular for young people. Also,
1: yeah, I wanted to ask about the playing season. Of course, in in baseball, which is all that we're really familiar with, it's, it's it is a summer sport and also a spring and fall sport. It's a sport that it's never played in the rain or in the snow. But I was I was curious: is this are the conditions required pretty similar? Is this a sport that you you can still play in the rain, or how how short is the playing season?
2: Uh, if it rains like super heavily, uh, then, then we stop the game. But otherwise, in a small rain, yes, we can play. Sometimes the temperatures are quite close to freezing point, like our zero Celsius degrees. Uh, that's not very nice for the audience or for the players anymore. So that's why we start in May when weather is generally quite nice in here. Can hit the 20 Celsius degrees, but sometimes it can be a bit cold too because Finland is quite a big country and it's played from the north to the south but uh, in the september the problem is also the light we don't have huge stadiums like you have in baseball we don't have the artificial lighting that well and the ball well it travels about the same speed as as your baseball but players really have to be able to see it so we have to play according to the daylight also and that's because in here you know in the winter time there's not that much sun so september end of september we have to start the games quite early which makes uh, some problems when you want to get some audience in there. So, for those reasons, it's May to September and we really can't fix it. But we do have an indoor series on the winter time. Mm-hmm. And so is
0: Super Peses. Is that the Major League Baseball equivalent of Pesapalo? And and what is the larger structure of the sport? I, I know Finland has, I think, about five and a half million people. So even though it's the national sport, as you mentioned, you're not getting gigantic crowds to see games usually.
2: Yeah, well, there are a couple of problems. Okay, our whole country has the same amount of people as some of your cities in there. Mm-hmm. So, and when you divide that like the, the whole big country the main let's say our finals this year above five thousand spectators but for us that's like a, a big number but yeah so super pesis that's the only well it's not fully professional i would say semi-professional league but it's the top league in the whole world of pesapalla and in finland we have 14 teams on men's side and 12 on the women's side whenever there are some some teams who play in switzerland or australia or nowadays in india They have their own small championships, but really, nothing really compares at the moment to the Finnish league with the superpasses. And it's been like that ever since the beginning. Uh And you said it's semi professional,
0: so are, are the players being paid to play, or do they all have full time jobs in addition to
2: playing? Well, some teams can have even three fully professional guys, but out of generally around 15 players, that's not so much. A couple of them can be students who get some money for playing and then the rest are they work full-time maybe eight months a year and for four months they just play Pesapalla so and that's because of the financial realities as I said about the spectator levels and Finland as a TV market is not so huge either so we we can't we can only dream of the TV money that baseball gets (laughs) we really can't can't pay millions to anybody but some people are fully professional it's okay
1: you, you had mentioned that there are uh, that men and, and women have have their own leagues, their own series. and I was curious about that that uh, the history of the gender gap because of course in, in North America, women are generally funneled, uh, whether willingly or against their will into playing softball while baseball remains mostly a man's sport. but women seem like they are very competitive in baseball. If you look up a lot of media, then you'll you'll commonly find women playing. So have, have women been invited to play and then free to play from the beginning? I think
2: it was 30. So men started in the 20s, 1920s, and women started to play in the 1930s. So in the beginning, there was a small gender cap, as you said it. But ever since that, uh, they've been quite even. Of course, there is a little bit more money on the men's side, a little bit more spectators, more professional players. But we try to keep them on the same same level in everything. Even our new TV deal here in Finland, uh, it actually includes both men and women, and it's almost equal.
0: So we should talk a little bit about the game itself. I guess the most obvious difference when you first see it is the lack of the pitcher batter confrontation because there is a pitcher but he is standing off to the side of the plate and he is just throwing the ball vertically and then it comes down and Obviously, that limits the extent to which you can try to avoid the bat, but how much strategy is there in terms of the placement of the pitch? Because the pitch does have to be over the plate. It's a ball if it drops wide of the plate it's a strike if it drops on the plate so can you vary the height or the location in a way that confuses the batter Uh, generally batters are hitting the ball so you're you're not getting guys swinging and missing all that much
2: yes so okay it might seem for baseball fans it might seem obvious that hey there is no tactics involved in that but for sure there is Mm -hmm. and yeah you can vary the height You can vary the placement if you are able to do it and you can also do some tactical how do you call it balls like so that it's not uh, on the plate Mm. so depending on the situation on the field where the runners are how well the pitcher knows the batter like if you know that this batter almost always tries to hit a certain certain kind of swing with his bat you can try to always pitch the worst possible pitch for that kind of batting so there still is the duel between pitcher and batter but For the audience, I would say the most important thing is that almost always the batter is able to hit the ball. But if the pitcher is very good, the ball doesn't go where the batter wanted it to go. But at least there is action.
1: If I'm understanding correctly, one of the rules is that before there are three strikes on the batter, the batter can hit the ball into fair territory, but he doesn't have to run on that play so how commonly does that happen that that the batsman will hit the ball between the boundaries but then decide I'm going to take my chances and, and try to hit another fair ball instead
2: It depends uh, if there are runners on the any of the bases they don't have to go either as I know that in baseball if you hit the ball everybody runs but in our game or not always but pretty yes. often but in our game depends on the situation let's say that on the second base the fastest runner of the team is there on the first base is a very slow guy. And on the first bat, the guy hits a nice hit so that the fastest guy can go to the third base. He does that, successfully gets there, but the next two strikes. He might want to use for a very very high ball so that he and the other slow guy just go to the next base safely. Somebody catches the ball from the air and they are they are taken out of bases but they are not out. So the team strategy, of course, is to keep the fastest runners on the bases and the strongest batters uh, batting them home. So it can vary depending on the players, on the situation. But if there's an empty field uh, and you hit the ball and it's a nice nice strike, you pretty much start running then. <laughs> Unless it was so bad that you know that you're not going to make it to the first base, then you just stay, stay next to the plate.
0: Uh-huh. So if an American fan thinks, well, gee, so much of baseball is the pitcher and the batter and how could this be as interesting if there's not as much strategy involved there, but it seems like a lot of the strategy then becomes the batter versus the fielder, right? And you you can decide where you want to place the ball or where you want to hit it with a a much greater degree of control than you can in American baseball, where you're lucky just to get the bat on the ball and, and you can only control where it goes so much so because of this vertical pitching style you can place where you want the ball to go and of course the other team knows what you want to do and what you usually do so there's probably a lot of strategy there so I would think that the defensive shifting and positioning that we've seen in the last decade of American baseball that has probably been a part of Pesapalo from
2: the start sure exactly like that and the teams have like their coaches like you guys have your coaches there is a coach For the defending team and depending on the situation they might have signs and uh, try to tell hey now we make this and for this batter we do the other way around and of course the team who is batting they have the same thing like you mentioned that they pretty much try to do what the others are not expecting and uh, that's why in pesapallo the defending team players actually get a very lot of movement or they really have to run on the field too like not just standing there and waiting if somebody can hit the ball but making their defensive positions can actually change even just before the strike.
1: So as long as we're covering some of the basics, let's just go over. What would you say is about the the average, an average score of a game and an average time of of game from start to finish?
2: It's about two hours and 15 minutes is the average time on the men's side. That includes a break, which is about 18 minutes at the moment. And uh, the score this year was actually quite good. We had very good weather, which makes the ball travels faster. So about 18 points, which means that 18 runners got to the home base mm-hmm. in total. So it can be nine, nine, uh, nine or whatever it is then. But that's about the number of runs that you normally get. And
0: the field is an artificial turf and, and very short. And then there's a layer of sand over it. How is the ball compared to the American baseball?
2: men's pesapallo ball is 20 grams heavier and women's is actually exactly the same weight as baseball it's about the same size i think up to about a millimeter or two but our ball doesn't have those seams like yours it, mm. it's like more more flat uh-huh. uh, the seams are flat uh, and it's a little bit harder uh, the men's ball but they bounce still quite well out of the artificial sand turf so we can use uh, techniques where you hit the ball from above if you are a tall batter uh, and make it bounce from the from the field so that the catchers really have to run run after the ball
1: so if you if the batsman hits the ball on the fly beyond the field that in baseball that would be a home run but in pace that is a foul ball what uh what happens if a batter hits the ball and it bounces fair and then rolls beyond the boundary
2: well, that's the the way in our game to get the home run. So you try to hit the corners of the field so that the defenders cannot catch the ball so that it rolls away. But the main thing is that no matter how strong you are, you really can't make a home run unless you also have the technique to place the ball where you want it. And that's the main thing in our game, that you don't have to be a huge, uh, strong guy. You can be a smaller one with very good technique, hit the, first, uh, the corner behind the second base, for example, and make the ball roll away from there. And if you are a fast runner, that's then the home run.
0: Uh-huh. And so another obvious difference uh, the field shape you mentioned it's it's sort of more elongated it's it's not really a a diamond and the base paths, instead of running around the diamond counterclockwise, the bases are kind of a zigzag. So you start to your left to get to first base, then you cut across the field to get to second on the right, and then you go back to third, and then you run all the way back home. And each base is farther away from the last one than the one before. So third to home is much farther than home to first. So how does that change things or how does that change base running is there more strategy involved more decision making involved
2: sure and but also i would say that it makes a lot of you have to really put a lot of emphasis on the speed of your players mm. or the whole team actually so a slow player in pesa unless you are a super good batter there is no place for you. So everybody has to be able to run those distances between the bases very, very fast because our players can throw the ball almost the same speed as your uh, pitchers. Mm-hmm. So, so when they catch the ball, you really don't have much time to hit the next base.
0: Uh huh. And if you catch the ball, then the it's an out. But the the runners stay on the bases. The only way to retire the runners who are on the bases is to get the ball to the base ahead of them, right? Uh, There's no tagging.
2: Yeah, no tagging. Uh, Yeah. It has to be on the base before the runner. And I really don't know what would be the best term for like, if you catch it directly from the air, as you said, it's not an out automatically, Uh but if you catch it from the air and somebody is running, they have to, the runner has to try to get to the next base. But if you can throw the ball, or the defending player can throw the ball to the next base before the player, then it's an out. But if the runner is there before the ball, uh, he will be, you use the word retire, maybe that would be a good word for that. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's taken out of, he's no more a runner, but it's not an out. Uh-huh.
1: Okay. So you you had mentioned, and it, it's pretty evident from watching some videos, that one of the most important skills is to, to be fast, but there is also the, the concept of, of jokers. So uh, this is all foundational and basic stuff to you, but if you could please explain in I don't know a minute uh, what are what are the jokers?
2: So at the moment, the number of joker players in each team can, is three, and uh, most of the teams well either they have like uh, two very good batters the, you know the more slower guys but the strong ones, and maybe one or then the other way is to have two very fast runners. So if there's a situation on the field that you don't have any runners, you put a fast choker player in there who has skills to make first strike that can make him uh, to the first base so then you have a runner in there or if there's a situation that the bases are full but out of your regular players the next player is not a very good striker then you can use your striker chokers instead so it kind of it helps the coaches that, that they have some extra extra players that they can call in whenever they are needed and they can these three jokers they can be used each of them can be used once in one inning uh-huh. why are they called jokers is that an insult or is that no yeah it's a i think even in some other games here in our own language uh the term joker it's the same as you know in the card deck the joker uh-huh. like i think in volleyball you can have a extra player it's it, yeah Choker is not the same as it is in English, so <laughs> okay. nothing like that in there. <laughs> right.
1: Obviously when you have a, a smaller country and you don't have the the TV contracts, they're just financially it's a it's a smaller business than than Major League Baseball, which means there are fewer, let's say, illicit incentives. But I was curious, is there a history of breaking the rules is there a history of scandals in Pisa apollo is it is it sufficiently big
2: well there is one and I, I i think you have the same you had this kind of betting or what is called fixed game mm-hmm. scandal once we actually had that uh, that was 20 years ago uh even in okay you say it's small yes it is small but when you compare it to the size of our country and the cities in here it is still it is still something and, uh uh, betting in finland is legal so that there is a governmental or governmentally controlled betting agency and pesa Paolo has been on the list for a long time and 20 years ago there was this kind of game fixing scandal which then caused a lot of trouble for our sport some teams were banned for many years uh, the popularity went down for some years so mm-hmm. yes we had that kind of thing but now it's 20 years ago some people still remember it for sure, yes, but uh, I think we've gotten
1: over it. Yeah, I know it took a few years in, in baseball for, for fans to sort of recover from the, the work stoppage back in the 90s. So how about how many years or months did it, did it take until you saw the, uh, the popularity recover from, from that scandal?
2: Well, there are places in Finland where actually Pesapallo is the only sport. In those places, things continued about as, as they were before. But of course, there was some talk on the streets what happened about what happened. But in some places uh, where the teams even went to bankruptcy after that, it took years, like many years. Mm-hmm. And we. Talk about sign stealing a lot in
0: American baseball, and there are signs in Pesapalo too, but they're given by the manager with a a kind of multicolored fan. It looks like a a peacock tail almost. Can you explain how that works and whether it's possible for the other team to decipher the signs?
2: Well, for sure, we try. I I also, well, now I only play on the hobby level, but (laughs) when I used to play myself too, of course, that's a you try to do it, you try to read it, but there are so many varieties on, on how to use it that it's almost impossible. But what you do with that is that you just can't shout to the runner on the second base that, hey, now on the second strike, we're going to do, it's called a bunt when you do the short one.
0: Uh-huh.
2: So if you shout that out, of course, the defending team will know what's going to happen. But when you have a sign that let's keep the red on the left side and yellow next to that, then the runner will know that the striker is going to strike a small bunt in the front field. And the runner should start running immediately when the pitcher, uh, pitcher's hand and the ball, how do you say, when he throws the ball upwards. Mm-hmm. So that's a way to signal everyone what's going to happen and be ready for, for the next event, whatever it is. And sometimes our game is quite fast paced. So sometimes there is really a big hurry and they really have to be well prepared to change the sign for the next, whatever is going to happen in there. Mm-hmm.
1: So how widespread are statistics record keeping of of the games is it pretty well understood who like the 5 or 10 best players are what are what are the most important statistics
2: Well the challenge is okay we have statistics a lot of that in striking mm-hmm. yes so we know who are the best strikers of all time uh of every year of every month every game but on the defending side that's where we Lack the statistics quite a bit, I think. So, okay, of the pitchers, we do know something, but it's quite quite hard because let's say that they they make an out of the fast runner. Was it pitchers' uh, good pitch, or was it the uh, outfielder's fast and throw to the base, or was it a combination of those? Mm. It's actually quite hard to make that decision. And yeah, it, because it is the whole team pretty much in the defending side. So, pitching yes almost the same as uh, in baseball defending quite uh, minimal at the well,
1: moment uh, we have the same problems <laughs> yep yeah okay yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> is there uh, like a babe ruth of pesapalo like a clearly the the best player of all time Sure. And actually, he even hasn't finished his career yet. Uh, um, mm-hmm. It's a guy called Tony Kohonen. He's been, we have an all-star game, which is a tradition. I think next year it's going to be the 84th all-star game in the history of Pesapallo. And this guy has been in 21 of them Ooh. or even 22 now. Wow. So he's played like his whole career on the top level. Before this summer, he had never missed a game. Like no injuries, nothing. Huh and he he's been a top pitcher and also quite good in uh, striking and uh, this was his last season now in super passes. next year he's gonna play in our what do you call it, like the first division like the next level uh-huh. but he still didn't uh, end his career and i think our this, uh second level league is gonna get a lot of boost from him him uh-huh. being there but in almost all of our statistics like the all-time statistics he has played most championship level games yeah he has most all-star games and even on the strikers list he's quite high even though he's never been the number one how to get like a the hardest striker of the team but yeah Uh That's our Babe Ruth And uh, still playing Which is very nice
0: Yeah Yeah that's another advantage I didn't even think of Injuries Just you know Getting rid of pitchers Who throw as hard as they can You're cutting out Most of the injuries Right there So that's uh, That's probably a good thing And in terms of Career length Or or trajectory Is it similar You know in, In American baseball Typically You peak around 26 27 And you know Then you You decline Say after you're 30 and it's rare for someone to be playing at 40 or or after. Is it kind of similar? Because I would think, you know, on the one hand, you don't have to catch up to a a 100-mile-per-hour fastball, but you do have to be able to run really fast.
2: Yeah, well, it's pretty much the same. Like I mentioned, this guy, Tony and he is now 42 Uh this year, which was his last top-level year, and he's an exception. Normally, I would say they are below 30. There are some above 30. That are still playing in a very high level but of course at some stage your role might change from the fastest runner then you start to be the striker and in the end you are a choker striker (laughs) you don't run that much anymore but because there are so many different roles like if you have a very good hand you can play on the backfield Uh, and when you have some experience you don't have to be super fast runner in the backfield but with your eye hand coordination and a good throwing hand you can still get a place even in the top level. And there are some players even in the backfield who are 30 over, above 35 at the moment. But our players who are numbers 1 and 2 in their teams, those are normally the fastest runners.
1: I would say that their average age is almost always below 30. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I guess as long as we're talking about injury risk, another foundational bit of information here is how many games are in a season?
2: If you go to the finals, it can go uh, not 40 like well around 40 that's the maximum and then there some junior players they play in the junior leagues too so there are some individual players even at the top level who play this maximum 40 games plus maybe another 25 in the junior league
0: uh-huh Well, I guess one of the the big advantages from a spectator perspective, not only the shorter games, two hours and 15 minutes or so, but also just the amount of action, and that's the most common complaint about baseball these days, is... The three true outcomes, the home runs, the walks, and the strikeouts, now make up more than a third of plays, and in Pesapalo, there are strikeouts, there are walks, there are home runs, but they are all much, much rarer. If you if you added them all together, I would imagine it would still be a, a very small minority of, of all the plays, and even the home runs are... You know technically in play, you can chase after them, so there's just a a lot less standing around, and everyone is running all over the place all the time, so it seems like a a very fun spectator experience there There aren't really any times I guess to to take a break and and look at your phone or something, which is maybe why there is a break built into the game,
2: sure, yeah, you're absolutely right, and that's what we are proud about, but there are some breaks like after three outs when the teams change. James the defensive positions and the striking positions that's where we normally have like about one minute so if I'm in the audience that's when I check the games uh, the other games around Finland and check the (laughs) scores but then when the game starts again it's going to be like five to ten minutes that you just watch because as you said defending team is moving the runners who are on the field even if you hit a very good hit and you can make the home run you really can't walk you always have to run because the defending team can get the ball Sometimes from the river, we have uh, fields that are on an island, and if they get it from the river and they throw it to the third base before the runner, it can still be an
1: out. Uh,
0: that's good. Yeah, we need to bring that to baseball.
1: So <laughs> yeah. at a at the super level, are there are there transactions between teams? Are there trades? Is there free agency? Can players move around?
2: Well, they can yes, uh, because it's a semi-professional. There are some longer longer deals i think this year the longest that have been published are four-year deals so of course some other team can buy can buy them out but it doesn't happen that often because Mm -hmm. it's a semi-pro so if a team gets a very good player it's not all about the salary from the game itself but if they can organize him a nice apartment and a civilian job too it's actually quite hard for any other team to compete with that so it's not as big these trades as in some other sports which uh, from my perspective as I'm watching the league financial records also is I think it's a good thing this way but uh, I don't know I, I don't think that we lose much in this if we would be an international sport like soccer here in Europe uh, of course that could bring along a lot of money but since we are the only only real, real top league in the world in Pesapallo this is the current situation.
0: Uh-huh. I don't know.
2: I'm happy with this.
0: Yeah. Is there any American baseball played in Finland, and do people pay any attention to American baseball in the major leagues there?
2: Sure. We do have a. It's on two levels. We have like a championship level in pe- baseball here in Finland, and we also have a, another like a second division, and we are actually under the same uh, organization. Uh-huh. So it's a it's a Finnish Baseball Association, but it includes baseball also, and. Uh, Do we pay a lot of attention? I think the honest answer is no, (laughs)
0: Uh
2: Okay. but actually we, we just got our first baseball field uh, last, last this year. Yes. Uh So we, we used to play on fields that are not wide enough sometimes. And sometimes the one corner of the field was on a bicycle road or something. (laughs) I I tried it myself a couple of times here also, but this helps a little bit. I don't know. We don't compete. And as I said, we are together. There is, we don't see any problem in baseball growing in here but because of the nature differences of the games so i really think that Pesapolo will hold its place in finland for mm-hmm. for a long time
0: yeah and There's only been one Finnish-born American major leaguer, John Michelson, who uh, was a pitcher for two games in 1921 with the White Sox. And I know that there have been some American baseball scouts who have started going to Pesapalo games and have shown some interest there. And I don't know whether Pesapalo players are interested in potentially playing baseball if a, a scout wanted to sign one, but has there been... Any signing there? Has there been progress toward maybe teams being interested in Pesapal players? And and what do you think would be the most interesting quality to an American scout or or the most interesting type of player?
2: Well, I've been, I was involved. There was a New York Yankee scout here maybe four years ago, two years ago. Mm -hmm. I was actually helping as a translator because some of our players, the younger ones, they were either afraid to speak English or thought that they can't speak English. And I remember uh translating the discussion between the yankee scout and it was our rookie of the year a very good uh player from uh, our team And i remember the the guy said to this finnish young boy that do you know what is the minimum salary in baseball (laughs) and then whatever it is six hundred thousand or something and then oh well that sounds high and then would you be interested in leaving and then he said i'd rather be uh a top player here in finland than an average player in the us uh-huh. because and also because all my friends are here yeah sure. uh, <laughs> so it's nobody really has it as a dream in here and I, i'm i have to be proud of that as a mm-hmm. from my current position that there's really not about not much of a talk about that because they love our game uh it's as i said there are many things that make our game like much more interesting for the players To if you only talk about money then of course you would probably aim for for the major league baseball but our players the best quality what the yankee scout also said is the the throwing hands because mm. almost every player in our team unless you are the choker striker can throw as fast as yours your uh pitchers. Yeah. but they don't know the curveballs and those but just what do you call it? you call it fastball right when you uh-huh. just throw in that they really don't lose to anybody
0: yeah I guess you need seams on the ball to to, yeah, throw curve yeah, to out, do so. that yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: but they never practice it either, so right. and of course, they can catch the balls as as your players the, the throwing hands are super good, and they are I would say much faster than an average baseball player, so those qualities would be there, and uh, even myself, I never played on the top level, but I played pepolo for over twenty five years i when I've been training for baseball. For me it's been quite easy to hit those balls when of course it's not a pro level pitcher but i know some other guys who have a long history of Pesapolo, but for them it's very very hard to hit the ball when it comes towards you like in baseball so i think that's something that's individual and up to training that for some people it could be easy to hit that ball too for some it's very difficult
1: so ben mentioned before that one of the complaints about Baseball in, in North America is that it's, it's too slow. There are too many walks, too many strikeouts, too many home runs. Uh, I was curious, you mentioned that Pace Apollo is, it remains uh, popular among younger people. Are there general complaints? Are there common complaints people have about the game rules they want to see changed? Any, anything that's evolved or, or gotten worse, maybe over the previous decades in terms of entertainment? Mm,
2: well, we used to play like you do, that it was nine pairs of innings, or however you call it, nine innings each uh but because if it happens then that one team gets 20 runs on the first inning and the game is kind of over and there's nothing to do for the next eight ones so we changed that some uh, 25 years ago i would say or 30 so that we play four innings which is the first half four innings the second half if one team wins them both okay that's three points for them if they are even they play an extra inning which decides who gets two and who gets one point And if it's uh, one inning, won by one team and the other inning is even, then the winning team gets two points. So this was a big change in our rules that we made and actually helped everyone, help the audience, help the betting companies and I think also for the players, because then you really even if you lose the first set, you really haven't lost anything, Mm. only one point, of course, but that's it.
0: Uh yeah and there's also a i guess an inning can end or a half inning can end if the batting team does not score Two runs, right? They have to score at least two runs to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh And have there been a lot of evolutions in the strategy or in the scoring? You know, in, in baseball, you can't really compare baseball in the 1960s to baseball in the 1990s. You have to adjust all the stats because it will be a high scoring era and then a low scoring era. And there are certain strategies, you know, bunting was very common before and now it's not common. Is there a lot of change in that? way also uh,
2: of course in the strategy and even we have been uh, increasing the size of the field mm. during the history because the players started to be faster and uh, ah, uh-huh. uh, so there we have made some adjustments yes but during the last I would say this millennium, it's like 18 years the average number of uh, runs has been about the same like as I said this was a good summer Maybe two runs higher than the average, but still, if that's the variety is only like two or three runs during the last 20 years, it's not a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And in the women's side, it's about the same. So for the last 25 to 30 years, it's been quite, quite similar. Before that, when they played on the old system, like nine innings, I think you really can't compare those with the current ones.
1: So the last thing I wanted to ask is kind of a basic question. It's uh, more pertinent to you. How often do you do an interview like this? How often does somebody from North America decide, oh, we we just heard about baseball and we want to learn about it? How often do you have this conversation?
2: Uh, only about one or two times a year. And it's also from Japan. <laughs> I think my last <laughs> guest, uh, there was a Japanese baseball journalist visiting Finland uh, some months ago now. And uh, sometimes it's been the New York Times, Wall Street Journal have been sending their people nbc has been contacting us so uh, as i said one or two times a year that's about it and but we also actually we have some fans who really follow pesa or or the top level super pesis uh but they use twitter they use our web streams like all the games are streamed live so you can really if you want and you are really super interested you can actually follow it from the us also and Uh it's been fun to see the small fan base grow grow growing there also
0: yeah I was going to ask you about that as a last question. I know that there is some international Pesapalo. There's a a World Cup since 1992, and it's played in Germany and Sweden and Switzerland and Australia. And from what I understand, Finland always wins. (laughs) Um, But do you see it as a big part of your job to export the sport to to help it spread? Or does it not matter as long as it's very popular in Finland?
2: Well, we really haven't done much of an export, uh, but what has happened in the last years is that India, where they do play, they play softball, baseball, and cricket, of course, mm-hmm. is the number one sport in there. But they also, they found our game actually through YouTube videos of Pesapalo, and they started it by themselves around 10 years ago. And the last World Cup, which was played 2017 in Finland, that was the first time when India was in, and now there is Nepal also, they have uh-huh. their association, in Bangladesh. So those cricket countries have started to play Pesapallo, and that's been a project where I've been involved from the start, and that's the only thing that I really kind of feel that we have to do, because if we miss this opportunity, you know, one billion players in India, Yeah, that's something where we have put some, some real effort, and we're going to do more. I think my next trip to India is in uh, one and a half months again, and the next World Cup is going to be in exactly one year in Pune, India. And that's the first time the World Cup is going to be played in that part of the world. So, uh-huh. not not much of an export effort, but for these Indians who really have needed help, we've been helping them in referee coaching and trainer coaching and uh, whatever, drawing the fields on any sand field, just basic stuff and giving them some equipment. That's what we've been doing, but we really don't have a department who is responsible of the export. It's just I see. a couple of us who do that for small part of our job, and uh-huh. also for fun. It's been really, really nice to see the game growing there.
0: Uh-huh. Oh, one more thing I wanted to ask, if you watch another thing that stands out, is that the whole batting team stands around the, the plate, and you know when they're not hitting, they're just standing there watching what's happening. There's no dugout where everyone goes. So what are all of the other batters doing? Are, are, I read that they, they heckle the
2: pitcher. That's, yeah, that's one, <laughs> one role, but... <laughs> I would say in almost every team that all of the guys, like twelve of them, they have a role. Somebody is helping a runner. They have signs, like they can show with their hand that how close the next defender is to them. That can they steal from the base? How much they can steal safely? Some of them are watching the pitcher and trying to see what's coming up, or if if it's gonna be a a ball, they can shout and help because they're gonna be a decision made that if it's a little bit out of the plate, you still mm-hmm. hit it. But everybody has to know, and that's where we use the sign for. But I would say that almost every one of them has a role, and uh, it's a team sport, so you really need it. You need all those eyes on the game.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and if our listeners want to get involved and check it out and watch from afar, what's the best way for them to do that? A website or Twitter account or YouTube account? Yeah, well,
2: it's super pesis. Yeah. You can find us from instagram twitter facebook for sure uh website is superpesis.fi, and from there once the season now starts in may and okay our winter season starts in february you can find links to our streams from there and uh, some of the games are under or behind the paywall of course but i think uh, we actually we do have uh, like people who pay for that in the us so you are welcome (laughs) to do that too it's not very expensive but That's the best way to watch the games live. But unfortunately, most of the material is in Finnish. So Uh just use Google Translator.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming on and explaining it to us.
2: No problem. And uh, if you have time next summer, please come and check it out for yourself.
0: Yes, I would like to. All right. Thank you.
2: Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Thank you.
0: All right, that will do it for today. This is your final reminder. If you're interested in signing up for the Effectively Wild Secret Santa, do it today. This is the last day before registrations are closed. So check out the link on the show page at Fangraphs or in the Facebook group to sign up and give and receive baseball-themed gifts next month. You can support the podcast on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. Following five listeners have already signed up and pledged their support Jordan Smith, Josh Heisley, Adam Mael, Greg Burton, and Meg Rowley. Hey, how about that? You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash wild, and you can rate and review and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and other podcast platforms. Your ratings and reviews do help us, or so we're told. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for his editing assistance. We will likely do an email episode next time, so please keep your questions and comments coming via email for me and Jeff at podcast at or via the Patreon messaging system If you are a supporter, thanks for grinding through this winter with us. Sometimes it's tough to find topics, but desperation makes for good inspiration, and it's nice to talk about things that we wouldn't be able to talk about during the season. So, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you again
1: soon.